the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, U.S. Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. With me, as always, the lovely Nadia Oxford. Hello, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Nadia. Thank oh, you. wait. You have crazy Canadian Thanksgiving. <laughs> it already happened a while ago. It did, but it's a nice It's nice Thanksgiving because it's so warm. Like, you have that golden sort of fall weather to accompany you, and it's very nice. We're all going to be gone on Thursday and Friday, and poor Nadia is going to be sticking around because she had the misfortune of being born in Canada. So, <laughs> Yeah, us, ironically, even though it's Black Friday and it's like a, a totally an American invention, uh, myself and the UK team, we're the ones handling the uh, the Black Friday <laughs> stuff. Yeah, I don't think the UK has uh, Thanksgiving. I feel bad for them, actually. Yeah, I don't yes. think they have any iteration of it. Yeah, the roots of the holiday are a little uncomfortable, but... It is my favorite holiday, Nadia. It's a um, it's funny in Canada. It's a little less of intense than it is in the states. Like both good mm. and bad. Like it's a very laid back holiday. Whereas, well, America, you have the politics number one. Not to say we don't have politics with <laughs> Aboriginals, but our Thanksgiving generally isn't tied to those things. Uh, those politics. Uh, oh, Nadia, Canada killed all kinds of natives. What oh, are you God, talking are you killing about? Me? No, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that we do have that history, but we don't have the. Uh, our Thanksgiving doesn't really have to do with like the pilgrims or anything like that. Oh uh, yeah, fair enough. We never had to do. No, what like- does that? I mean, okay, I'm not going to get into this, but uh, <laughs> it's my favorite holiday because all I can do, all I have to do, is eat and drink. Two of my favorite activities and watch football. One of my other favorite activities. Oh yeah, you guys have that whole football thing going on too. Yeah, yeah, that's and, a big deal. Yeah my 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 American football team of choice will be playing that day. So I forget who you root for. I root for the Minnesota Vikings. Of course, of course. Yes, the purple ones. <laughs> okay, that makes it a little easier, surprisingly. Just remember that they have they wear purple and they have a little horn on their head. And, yeah. Yeah. All right, we'll talk a little bit about RPG news. Uh, and then we're going to be talking about uh, what we're thankful for in RPGs in 2017. But uh, first piece of really quick news, Nadia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Neverwinter Nights 2 Enhanced Edition an- announced by Beamdog Software. Uh, they have been doing pretty much all of the games that are coming from Bioware and Obsidian. They did mm-hmm. Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate 2, Icewind Dale, and now they're moving on to Neverwinter Nights 2. And uh, for the people who aren't familiar with it, like Nadia, yeah, <laughs> uh, Neverwinter Nights 2 came out in about 2005. And you should go check out my interview with Josh Sawyer because he talks a little bit about it. But like many Obsidian games at that time, it was a very ambitious game. Mm-hmm. It was a it, it used the D and D three point five rules. It had co op elements and kind of online em- elements that you could play with your friends. You could upload. You could create and upload modules. And oh, indeed. Cool. Uh, when if you want to be a writer at bioware or if you want uh, at least back in like 2009 when i was looking for ways to get back into the game get into the games industry they would ask that you create modules in neverwinter nights 2 oh that's just cool. to see if like you could create a good quest in an rpg i actually tried to create a module not for uh neverwinter nights obviously but uh for another uh game 
Hmm. that uh, a game book series and uh, God, I went through the whole Megillah and I got rejected at the end and I was so pissed off. Oh, that's too bad. It was a fun story too. I should really just turn it into a novel or something. I tried to run a campaign several years ago. It was Star Wars. Oh, that's fun. Did not go well. (laughs) It did. Because I had an idea for what the story would look like, but Uh I wasn't very good at figuring out power, balancing power levels for the encounters oh so what was happening was essentially i was walking into situations where where my opponents were my party like the people that i had were just literally blowing away the enemies like literally <laughs> blowing them away <laughs> like it was just like force bam and then like That's 30 amazing. stormtroopers died <laughs> When you say you had balance issues, I thought you like made things too strong, and like Ewoks were massacring like these people. <laughs> that would have been great, but no, that's no, good no. Too. It was the other way around. There was just no <laughs> danger whatsoever. So July. I was trying to, and I, I've de- I've designed game scenarios in the past, mm-hmm. and the worst thing you can do as a game designer is try to railroad the player, mm-hmm. because the player they'll do whatever they want. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> They're not going to do what you want them to do. No. They have agency. Yes. And uh, I tried to railroad much, quite a, like way too much with my quest design. So. Uh, and everyone rebelled against you? Yes. The best, the best quests or missions are the ones where basically someone gets dropped into a situation and you just say, okay, solve it. Here are some tools. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Figure it out. Right, yeah. yeah. There was like, like the bane of dungeon design, dungeon masters, the world over, getting the players to talk to the guy who will start the dang quest. Because <laughs> <laughs> they always want to go everywhere else. Oh, I want to go here. Yeah. I want to go here. Well, what's in that pub? Diver? There's nothing in the pub, but I want to go see the pub. Don't go in the pub. <laughs> oh my god, I'm going in the pub. I'm ordering a drink. Me. Oh, check God, for God's sake, are you going to really make me come up with encounters in <laughs> story on the fly? Yes. Encounters in the pub. Here comes a flying beer mug. Yeah. What are you going to do? Uh, roll, roll dodge? I don't know. <laughs> that would be fun. Uh, uh, you're intoxicated. You get hit in the head by the mug. You wake up to find yourself in a dungeon. What do you do now? <laughs> <laughs> you may get eaten by a Gru. Oh, I like this. Uh, we're coming up with a uh, we're coming up with a module right here on Axe with Bug Up, but. Uh, Neverwinter Nights, too, uh, notice, notable for lots of bugs, tons mm. and tons of technical glitches. And Josh Sawyer said pretty much straight up, he came in in the midst of Neverwinter Nights, too, after a stint with um, Midway, uh, working on a really bad gauntlet game for the PS2. And he oh, said, uh, he said on multiple occasions, yeah, uh, it wasn't going well, essentially. Like, mm-hmm. Neverwinter Nights 2 wasn't going well. Had massive problems. So my hope for an enhanced edition is that they'll fix it. <laughs> they'll well, fix those problems. I-, I would hope so, and I'm putting my faith into them. But then you think about, like, Skyrim Remastered, which didn't fix anything pretty much. So, But that's Bethesda. Yeah, they, they, they're really talented at bugs. Like, they do bugs like no one else can. It's because they get a free pass. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have to admit, it, they do. It's because like certain certain other developers. They just they always get a free pass. Like I was, I was talking about this with uh, Nintendo. Like mm-hmm. the reason Game Freak keeps making these third versions of Pokemon is because 
they get away with it and they get good <laughs> reviews too yeah like pokemon ultra sun and ultra moon they it's got an 87 on metacritic right now yeah um although i guess like a lot it's probably a great game to also pick up if you haven't picked up sun and moon but who hasn't sure. by this point yeah exactly my point is is that as long as developers can get away with it they're totally going to yeah so until they until like the next bethesda game gets like a 60 on metacritic because of its bugs mm-hmm. it's never going they're never going to change and that's never going to happen because bethesda games will always be the most hyped yeah. They'll always be really big and when they come ar- finally come around like you will be totally overawed by the all of the technical accomplishments like the huge the size of the world. Yeah. And everything else you'll just be blown away. And then the next thing you know like you're just going to be like overlooking you'll find you'll find yourself overlooking bugs you'll find critics overlooking bugs and that kind of thing and yeah but i wonder if that's actually like it's been a long time since skyrim came out and since then we've had witcher 3 we've had uh breath of the wild like both i don't know if witcher 3 is bugged i doubt it is but uh we had fallout 4 the same year as witcher 3 oh was was fallout 4 buggy i don't remember Fallout 4 was hella buggy. (laughs) (laughs) The thing is, is that bugs, people have different experiences with bugs. Yeah, that's true. I did not have that many problems with bugs in Fallout 4 or Fallout New Vegas, actually. Other people report all kinds of bugs and other issues. So it's, it can be really variable, your experience. Yeah. Like Mike was like, yeah, I saw some bugs. And Tom was like, yeah, I saw some bugs in Skyrim. And then the thing just hard locked on my switch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the when you get into the hard locking and stuff like that. That's when it gets really bad and soft locking as well. Yeah, but Neverwinter Nights Two Enhanced Edition. If you're into that kind of thing, uh, which I know a lot of people are, mm-hmm. uh, that's very exciting, and it's good to see that Beamdog is still at it. The last thing that they worked on, it might have been the last thing. It came out last year. They're the ones responsible for the whole stupid controversy. Uh, they had the Gamergate reference in there. Oh, oh, geez. Yeah, yeah that, was, then, that was the thing, wasn't it? And they also included a transgender person in there, too. Oh, was I think I remember that, too. No, that, I'm thinking of Mass Effect Andromeda, where it was like just kind of obvious, or they were trying too hard, or, or something of that nature. Well, Mass Effect Andromeda was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's because they dead-named themselves right like to in the stranger. conversation, which is not something a trans person would ever do. No. Yeah, but okay, moving on. Uh, Another piece of RPG news and perhaps something that is quite relevant to our audience. Uh, Apparently, Valkyria Chronicles isn't dead. Yeah. Sega announced over the weekend that they are working on Valkyria Chronicles 4. They confirmed that it is coming out in America and Japan in 2018. Mm -hmm. Uh, Probably... I mean, I would wager that if they're both coming out in 2018, they're probably coming out roughly the same time. Maybe yeah. maybe a couple months uh, removed from one another. Um, Nadia, you, you got a chance to play some Valkyria Chronicles uh, HD a while ago. What are your thoughts on this announcement? Well, for one thing, I'm happily surprised that this is a thing because when I played Valkyria Revolution, I thought, okay, this is Sega's subtle way of killing off Valkyria Chronicles because it was just so so bad nobody liked it and that would have given an an excuse to say okay well no one cares about the series anymore moving on but from what i've seen of the trailer uh it just looks it looks like 
the first game, like the HD version of the first game. Um, so I'm pretty excited for it. You got the, as I called it, a World War anime thing going on. <laughs> so <laughs> it's no longer like kids at school or or whatever they've tried to do in the past. It's just uh, a, another like kind of a Second World War story told as uh, through silly anime characters and really cool tanks. That's all I really want out of it. Apparently they're going for something akin to Russia. The snow has shown up. <laughs> Oh, boy, yeah, this is where it all gets really cold and ugly. I guess, though, they'll probably whitewash it a bit. Yeah. (laughs) They've never exactly been really into showing the utter horrors of war in Valkyria Chronicles. No, you definitely had your moments, but they were, like I said, it really did have that coat of anime paint to it, which kind of made it endearing, which is funny, because it's a game about the most horrible wars ever fought. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's still very lovable. (laughs) I'm very conflicted right now. It's weird that they are evoking Stalingrad, essentially, because that was probably one of the darkest chapters in human history, period, Mm -hmm. where you had, you know, if you go to certain parts of Russia, you still can find Nazis under the ice. Oh, wow. Like, just kind of frozen there? Yeah, their bones, their uniforms. It's a graveyard. Yeah. And... I mean the the Nazi invasion of Russia. They 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 surrounded. Uh, I think it was Leningrad, mm-hmm. and basically put it to siege. And people were basically eating each other. Wow! It was yeah, stuff like not, that. That's not going to show was, up in the game. No, it, <laughs> it was as total the most total war that you would, could possibly find. Yeah. Uh, the the Nazis were basically saying we are going to kill all of the Slavs. Mm-hmm. And the Slavs responded, or the Russians responded by saying, okay, well, this is fight or die, fight or yeah. die, essentially. And yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, anyway. There was a lot of um, And it's worth noting that the empire in Valkyria Chronicles very much resembles Russia. Yeah. Um, well, but I they're the bad guys, interestingly. In, in Valkyria Chronicles, the first one, they kind of took on the Holocaust, um, not quite I, i've talked about this in the past not quite mm-hmm. as brutal obviously but it was definitely touched upon um i'm actually kind of thankful and i'm still kind of glad that they focused more on of course the darkens are being stand in for jews they focused more on the jews who fought versus the ones who just basically became victims yeah so i don't know how they can manage that in the new one like any sort of parallel but uh i don't think people will be eating each other <laughs> well I sure hope that they really give it the time and attention that it deserves. It sure mm. seems like it. I it mean, it looks very nice. Did you watch the trailer? Cause I did. The first half of the trailer is basically them going, "Yes, we are going all out to just create the best and most beautiful storybook visuals, and it's all about the quality, mm-hmm. and we want to tell a great story within the Valkyria Chronicles universe." Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they so, were yeah. really harping on quality. Good, because uh, Valkyrie Revolution, not very qualiful. That's not a word, but... Yeah, you know I still I mean. can't believe I reviewed that game. <laughs> I remember playing it, like, because we talked about it on Acts of the Blood God, and I was waiting for my laundry to be done. And I'm like, oh my god, this is so... I was so sad, because that's just how good the first game was, and I'm just like, oh, oh dear. How could this happen? Well, well, I have a contrary opinion for you. Mm-hmm. I think the very presence of Valkyria Revolution suggests that Val- that Sega had big ambitions for Valkyria Chronicles. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, like I said, I'm just glad that it's not over. I'm glad that yeah. they're going for another one. Yeah, I think that they wanted to basically see how far they could expand it mm-hmm. because they realized that while it wasn't exactly a multi or international superseller, it wasn't exactly doing GTA 5 numbers, <laughs> it was still a franchise with yeah. a fan base. Yes, definitely. And that a very is not something that. That is so valuable in this day and age. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, it doesn't seem like you can do Valkyrie Chronicles on a really tight budget. Not like the attention that it deserves. God knows they've tried. Yeah, <laughs> have they ever? Yeah, because Valkyria Chronicles 2 and 3 obviously were on the PSP, and then Valkyria Revolution was kind of a cut-rate action thing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that was... Vita. It was almost... I was reading through my previous review, and it was almost kind of a um, like Dynasty Warriors kind of situation mm-hmm. going That's on right. with that game. Uh, it wasn't very good. No, it wasn't very... There wasn't a lot of strategy to it. It was a lot of hacky-slashy. It was also really boring. Yeah, it was very boring. The characters were boring. The story was boring. Um, one thing I do like about the original Valkyrie Chronicles is you do have those very cinematic sort of mm. uh, story interludes, and those didn't exist in Revolution. Yeah, it it was very much a anime series put into a game mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in that you had each chapter was essentially an episode Yeah, with uh, w- with your squad and everything. But then it also had little side stories, including a trip to the beach. Yay. <laughs> of course, you got to have the beach. Exactly. So the thing that I really liked about Valkyria Chronicles was how they kept going the extra mile Mm -hmm. with all of their different things, how uh, you could, you had in-game achievements, essentially, which got you medals, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, you got a little And you had the side quests with the newspaper. and Yeah, it was a really Mm. fun, well-put-together game. Yes, also very hard. Yeah, especially towards the end. Holy crap. Yeah, that game really kind of kicked my ass. (laughs) Especially, um... I can't remember the name of the Valkyrie, uh, but uh, she she kicked my ass. When Whenever she got involved, I knew I was dead. Yeah, I think that was the point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she was a real threat. And then there was that jerk with the huge-ass tank. Oh, God, funny. yeah. That guy. Man, you, <laughs> did you finish the game? No, I came very close, but I got my ass kicked over and over again. So I said, you know what, I'll get back to this. And then I never did. Yeah. I The first time I played through it, I literally used a step-by-step guide to get through the missions. Yeah, I should go back and do that, because it's definitely worthy of being finished. Yeah, because, I mean, if you don't, it gets it devolves into a slog really fast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which, was kinda, which always kind of bugged me, because it made the missions almost more like puzzles than anything else. It reminded yeah. me of Advanced Wars in that way. Yeah, you're right. Advanced Wars was very much the same way. Um, whereas if you made, like, the wrong, if you even took one wrong step, everything just was programmed to kill you. Yeah. I'm really hoping that with Valkyria Chronicles 4, first of all, I'm hoping that they manage to recapture some of the personality of the original game. Mm-hmm, definitely. In the sense that the, the best thing about that was, first of all, the characters felt relatively grounded. Yes, they were very anime, yeah. especially Selveria. Yes. And it And the characters in your squad definitely... Uh, played to different anime tropes like you had the girl who became like the most powerful popular character in japan 
who wanted oh, to be right. the idol singer. Yeah, of course. And uh, yeah, you had like the the grizzled senpai, and you had like the yep. uh, kind of wild free spirit woman, and yeah, and you're then right. The hunter who was a loner and didn't want to talk to anybody. Was that the female? Um, I can't remember her name because she was amazing. I just had this woman on my team who didn't talk to anyone. She just you looked at her eyes and you she, you knew she was a murderer. She was awesome. She was always on my team. Well, she had that loner ability, so you could just put her in the sniper yes. nest and immediately get the buff yes, from it that. Was perfect. And then she could just proceed to snipe everybody. Yes. The only problem, the only thing that sucked was that there was a little bit of an XCOM thing going on Mm -hmm. where you would aim and you would fire and you weren't always guaranteed to hit uh, with a headshot. Yeah. And if you didn't hit with a headshot to kill them in one turn, it screwed up everything. (laughs) (laughs) Your whole war was lost. You also had the characters from Skies of Arcadia there, as I recall. Oh God! Yeah, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, because I, used, I, I mean them, Sega. So cute together. Yeah, so uh, I would like, I would like them to recapture some of that. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. I liked one of the things that I really liked about Valkyria Chronicles One was that every character had a, a different a life outside of being a soldier. Yeah, I really like that too. Uh, one of the things, uh, one of the things that you often see in media today is this exaltation of soldiers mm-hmm. and soldiers who answer the call of duty and move into go into service and fight for their country and everything. Mm-hmm. And there is an undercurrent of, if you are a soldier, then you are better than someone who is not a soldier. Mm-hmm. But the it's almost kind of the opposite in Valkyria Chronicles, where you have characters who are answering the call to defend their home. Yeah. But it's understood that they're also fighting to be able to live their lives outside of the military. Like yeah. one of the main, one of the big things is that um, the the lead girl who eventually becomes a, Val- it comes out that she's a Valkyrie, a Valkyrie or whatever. She is a baker. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's right. She wants to be a baker. It's her thing. Okay. Yeah. Some of them are teachers, some of them are engineers, and everybody talks longingly of being able to go back to their jobs outside of the service. And I like, I really like that element. It really kind of adds an extra dimension to their character. And I think that sort of thing is even more important in this day and age where it seems like war is endless Mm. uh, because you have the Second World War, people fought it, and then, yes, they did go back to their lives, uh, at least until, I guess, the Korean War. Uh, (laughs) But... With with war today, it's just there's it started so long ago, and there's no sign that it's ever going to end. It's really kind of depressing. So I, I do like the idea that, and I really hope that the next Valkyria Chronicles game gives us uh, the sense of completion that these people they did what they had to do, and they managed to get back to some semblance of their lives afterwards. It sure seems that they are talking about. It's hard to say, but it almost feels like they're talking about the conclusion of the war because, Mm -hmm. and that's what they were saying. It's like, we're attacking, we're on the offensive, we're pushing the empire back out of our homes, but oh crap, we, it's winter time. (laughs) The great equalizer. An early winter, crap. So they called it like a bitter early winter, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Oh, good times. Another thing that I would like to see is... I'm sure that they're going to have the snow factor in somehow. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, uh, in terms of terrain, visibility, whatever, because they did a lot of that stuff in the original Valkyria Chronicles. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's like I, even though I'm born and raised in Canada, I am not a big fan of the cold. Oh, I'm not either, but I love video games with snow. That's true. They're very, it's very peaceful. I'm fine observing it from the outside, or the inside, as it were. That's why I'm into Skyrim. Snowy yeah. mountains all day that, long. That is one of the nicest snowscapes in a video game ever. They really capture what that feeling. It was an incredible feeling the first time I climbed on, I, I walked up the mountain. Mm-hmm. The, the throat of the world. The throat of the world to go meet the, the dragonborn people to yeah. learn my shouts. Yeah, I, I noticed that um, uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild has a, a quest very similar to that. And I'm sure that's supposed to be a shout out, so to speak. I forget which quest that is. Um, it's a little bit later in the game, but you meet these dragons, and you do have to climb like one of the tallest snow-covered mountains in Hyrule to meet this dragon. Wicked! I totally didn't see that one. Yeah, so that was also a really nice moment in like the the snow and everything. I might have to do that. <laughs> you should. Uh, yeah, and, and flight. So do it then. Yeah, I suppose the last thing is with Valkyria Chronicles, I, I guess I want the missions to be a little bit more open and less rigid in their design mm-hmm. uh, so that I can have kind of multiple solutions as opposed to one solution. Yeah. And maybe back off on the difficulty a tiny bit. Just a bit. I don't, I'd rather not consult a guide if I don't have to. I think I remember I did have to consult a guide for that, that, that battle in the desert with that asshole in the tank. That was awful. <laughs> Well, I think, I think that you can see the difference between a game like XCOM 2 and a game like Valkyria Chronicles, um, and they have a fair number of similarities, to be perfectly mm-hmm. honest. And the nice thing about XCOM 2 is if you build up your character, if you utilize the terrain in your characters properly, mm-hmm. you will do very well, right. and chances are you'll be able to beat missions without having to save scum too much or having mm-hmm. to consult a guide. And if anything, your characters get a little OP, a little bit OP toward the end of the game. <laughs> but there's a really good feeling when you're rolling in that game. Whereas yeah. in Valkyria Chronicles, it feels like, okay, I did the wrong thing. I am now in the middle of the teeth of a giant crossfire and I'm going to yeah. die. Yeah, and you just wasted a whole bunch of time and it's very frustrating. Yeah, exactly. And And a lot of that is to do with how limited the actual soldiers are because in mm-hmm. XCOM I mean you have every character has abilities right mm-hmm. that really helps them out and they have large area of effect explosions and attacks yeah. whereas Valkyria Chronicles you have to lean really heavily on the tank yes you do <laughs> a tank will save your ass again and again yeah exactly so it I would like them to buff up the soldiers a little bit and make them a little more powerful without making them just... There are points in Valkyria Chronicles where one soldier could almost become like a buzzsaw, especially scouts. Yeah, scouts can be pretty OP. It's kind of like the same thing in uh, Fire Emblem, where most of the games give you that one kick-ass character early on. Although, to be fair, they're usually outclassed eventually, but you do have that one character who can very easily turn into a wall and a buzzsaw. Yeah, exactly. So I think that there are a lot of different things that they can have a hard look at. And there are some great examples of tactical RPGs out there that can serve as a good example for Sega. I don't necessarily want them to completely replicate what they did before. 
Yeah. I want them to build upon it. Uh, so last thing I want to point out, I am so dang excited that this game's coming out on Switch. Oh, I know. Oh, I just, I just like went yay when I saw that because it is such a Switch game. Right? I mean, oh my I, God. I, I, I can just tell you right now, it's such a Switch game. And, and I hope we get the original HD released on the Switch. I will buy that. I would buy that too, to be perfectly honest. Um, we, when Valkyria Chronicles 2 and 3 came out, it was just a real letdown because mm-hmm. the PSP so obviously couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just that it didn't come even close to rendering the lushness mm-hmm. of the original Valkyria Chronicles on the small screen. It was that the levels felt tiny. Yeah. They were itty bitty and it wasn't <laughs> fun Little tiny as opposed to the much larger, more sprawling battlefields. Mm-hmm. And so the Switch being at least as powerful, probably more powerful than the Xbox 360 and the PS3 uh, verging on PS4 levels, uh, can handle basically the original Valkyria Chronicles without oh, yeah. too much trouble. So I... I'm so excited to have a proper Valkyria Chronicles experience. And people will say Valkyria Chronicles 3 was very good. I played some of it. It was pretty cool. It was kind of a dirty dozen take (laughs) on Valkyria Chronicles. It certainly had a lot more visual flair than Valkyria Chronicles 2. Mm Kind of got back to basics. But like I said, it still felt kind of small. Yeah. I never got to play it. In its scope. Well, most people didn't because it never came out in America. (laughs) Hey, well, that'll do it, won't it? Yes. So, Valkyria Chronicles 4 coming out next year is something we can definitely look forward to, uh, yeah. Nadia. I am looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to talking more about it. Yes. Okay, one last piece of RPG news. This uh, just came out today, and I just passed it along to Matt, but I wanted to read it on the podcast. Uh, so, Square Enix did a financial quarter Q&A. And Square Enix president Yosuke Matsuda was asked about the Switch and how Square Enix plans to support the system. And he says, the Nintendo's new console is a prime candidate for multi-platform titles, new IP, old IP, and mid-sized titles. When referring to mid-sized titles, Matsuda is talking about games like Octopath Traveler or their output to handheld output in the DS and PSP area. While Matsuda does refer to multi-platform titles, this doesn't necessarily mean something like Final Fantasy XV or further games in the series. It does mean that where multi-platform games do apply, they would want to add the Switch to the consoles they want to prioritize. So something like an HD remix might include the Switch now, where previously it didn't. They also see the Switch as a useful avenue for both new IPs and leveraging old ones, and they're planning to be proactive in both these fields. Nadia, thoughts? Oh, well, good for Square Enix for jumping on when it matters most. Uh, I mean, from what I played of Octopath Traveler, I'm very excited for it. And I I think they have a good idea of what the Switch can do with its power. I know it doesn't have nearly as much as, say, the the PlayStation 4 or the Xbox One, but it certainly has enough to give us an impressive-looking RPG. And Octopath Traveler, it does have that very unique charm to it. Uh, Also, uh, we need a Final Fantasy VI remake, please. (laughs) 2011 or 2018 Project Octopath Traveler Dragon Quest 11 mm-hmm. Final Fantasy 10 HD Final Fantasy 12 HD That's I what I'm like predicting. See, yeah, I would like to see uh, 12 HD on the uh, Switch even though I nearly finished it on the PS4 I, I wouldn't mind playing it again. 12 HD would be an amazing addition. Yeah. 10 HD 
whatever. Yeah. Because I played it on Vita and it looked great on Vita, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, it was a phenomenal looking game on Vita. Really? Here's my problem with 10. It's too slow. <laughs> <laughs> Is it like 9? After it's suffering through 9, I can probably handle 10. Well, 10 reminds me of... Uh, 10 is weird because you can definitely see that it was a kind of a crossover between 9, at, like from the original PlayStation over to the PS2. It, mm-hmm. it came out in 2001. So uh, you can definitely see that there are a lot of ideas, a lot of ideas from Final Fantasy 9 and that kind of thing. And right. the way that is presented... Uh, you don't have control over things like the camera, <laughs> which is Ouch. pretty annoying, actually. And you can't skip any of the cutscenes. And all of the the battles go really slowly. Mm-hmm. It isn't that they're slow to load. It's that the actual animations of the characters are attacking are really slow. Right. Hmm. Yeah, with Final Fantasy IX, it's mostly the loading, but it is kind of the attacking as well. Yeah, that's kind of a slow-paced game, in yeah. all honesty. So, I. But beyond that, I mean, Project Sphere is coming out for it next year. Oh, Lost yeah. Sphere. Lost Sphere. That's it. Um, to be fair, yeah. there was a. I think there was a, a trailer for that, a new one, not too long ago, and it definitely looks a little more interesting than uh, I Am Sutsuna. Yeah, it's coming out in January. I mean, we'll see. Uh, yeah. We'll give it a fair shake for sure. Well, and we'll by we, I mean you, Nadia. <laughs> <laughs> is this another South Park situation? Nadia, you're up. Yeah, pretty much. And beyond that, I expect that Square Enix probably will be throwing a lot of their resources into the Nintendo Switch because, I mean, Japan uh, likes the Switch. It's selling extremely well over there. And it's just the obvious heir apparent to the 3DS and the and the Vita. So Yeah, makes sense. Okay. So, Nadia, before we move into talking about what we're thankful for in the RPG space in 2017, which I admit is a very America-centric uh, topic, but I don't care. I'm an American. I host this podcast. So we'll make it work. We'll make it work. But uh, I just wanted to give an update really quickly on Pokemon Ultra Sun, which I've been trying to crank through as fast as I humanly can. I'm almost done with the story, Nadia. Oh, good. So you can get to the really fun stuff. I'm at the part where the new stuff is kicking in. Oh, good. How yes. long did that take? Like, how far are you in the story? Do you know? I mean, it's it's like a 20-hour game. It's actually yeah, it's not, it's not short. I think I saw but, you were in Potown on Twitter. I was, uh, like, yesterday, I think. Or, no, two days ago. Something like that. But, yeah, I made it to Potown. But I'm, I'm way past Potown now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am at the point where the... the so, spoiler alert, I suppose. <laughs> I am now at the point where Solgaleo uh, mm-hmm. pops out. Nebi becomes Solgaleo. Right. And, but instead of you getting Solgaleo and then taking on Crazy Lady in uh, the alternate dimension. I think her name's Lusamine. Yeah, the, the gal who the is gal. the mother to, what's her name? Um, and the kid and the boy. <laughs> I'm really good at names, so you please are. forgive me. Uh, instead of taking on crazy Cthulhu-esque version of her, mm. you instead, uh, so Necrozma shows up 
and hmm. Necrozma was the super secret legend that you could get in Sun. Right. In Sun and Moon, the original Sun and Moon, after completing a whole bunch of side quests and stuff. Necrozma shows up and merges with Sogaleo. Hmm. And then you kill Sogaleo. Oh, no. You don't kill Sogaleo. Sogaleo transfers into another world. Right. And the world goes dark because all the wor- all the light is stolen from it. Oh, that's cool. And then you can ride the 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 butterfly thing from Pokemon Moon. That's a like, isn't that a bat? It's like a bat thing. Lunala? Yeah, okay. I love Lunala. The, the bat I like thing. bats. Yeah, so you get to ride the bat thing through space and time, which is actually kind of cool. Yeah, that's awesome. It's almost like Star Fox. <laughs> So yeah, you're like saw, using the gyroscope and you're going yeah. sh- sh- back and forth and everything. Um, and you have to direct your way yourself to a exit portal. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of other portals around that I guess you can go visit and find other Pokemon. I think that's the bulk of the post-game content yeah. right there. And you pop out in Necrozma's realm. And Necrozma goes into totem mode. Oh, Good. Which, and it's level 60, and it boosts up all of its stats. And I had with me a level 52 uh, Amphoros, a level 64 Salamence, a level 60 Charizard, Mm -hmm. a level 53 or 54, a level 54 Decidueye, a Zangoose that was like level 55 and a couple other things because the Pokemon bank update came out. So I right. transferred a whole bunch of stuff over. I got freaking rolled. <laughs> you probably did. Holy crap. I got annihilated. Yeah. Even my level 64 Salamence didn't have a chance. I didn't even get a shot off. Do you have like a female Salamence or a, a male? I don't know. <laughs> I think <laughs> well, it's a male. Well, females look all sultry and crap. So you would probably Oh, really? Know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, I didn't even get a chance to launch an attack because wow. it just killed my entire, it one-shotted my entire party all the way through. And I was just like, Jesus. Okay. Yeah. And I tried things like using X defense. Mm-hmm. Nope. Because <laughs> it would do too much damage. Uh, it would use an attack that would do more than 50% damage and then I would die anyway. Wow. So basically, it's finally a Pokemon boss that's really worthy of being a world ender because you always hear about these Pokemon bosses. They're like, oh, this one can gonna end the world if we let it go. And then finally, we have one that can pretty much destroy you and everything you love. It's because it got stat boosts and stuff. Mm. So eventually, like I was trying to think of different ways. I was trying to do status effects and stuff, but yeah. I couldn't even... I just, I didn't have anything that could really easily deal with a steel dragon. Yeah, that's a, that's a hell of a typing right there. So as a consequence, I went back to my box and withdrew most of my level 100 monsters. (laughs) Oh, you're going to screw with me, are you? I I basically pulled out my, my full team and went back and... I still died. Wow, really? Because the problem was that I'm only at the point where they will obey up to level 65. Oh, so they are all just like kind of scratching their ass while you're trying to tell them to go. Yes, so occasionally they would attack, but also they would disobey. Right. So there are instances where 
they would it would instead of one shotting it it would three shot them (laughs) (laughs) oh that's a little better fully trained level 100 monsters with good ivs and everything Mm-hmm. Getting three shotted by this monster. Wow. And I I was like, okay. But thankfully I got to the point where um my Infernape, which is my buddy, mm-hmm. it's my favorite Pokemon, uh, was able to do a lot of damage. It like obeyed me all three times. Oh good. And I was like, good Infernape. <laughs> you know what it's all about. <laughs> and then I revived my Jolteon and Jolteon listened to me and I finally took it out and I was just like, geez, okay. Nice. Okay. Dang, I don't even know what I would have done. Good job. If I were just raising a regular party. <laughs> Good job, yeah. nothing. Like I was I was cheating. I was using my I was using my fully freaking trained level 100 party. I don't know what I would have done if I was just using a normal in-game party. Go go uh go train, go grind <laughs> for a long time because oh my god. That is nuts. Uh well, and you have to beat challenge. it. You cannot you can't you can't master ball it. Because it won't let you capture it. Really? Nope. Can't capture it. You got to kill it. And so, uh, and if you die, you get sent back to the Pokemon Center. And even worse, everything is dark. Oh, geez. That's Yeah. So fun, fun ways to grind in the middle (laughs) of the darkness, uh, trying to get your party up. And if you just, if you just have a standard party and you're playing through as normal, uh, good luck. (laughs) <laughs> That's all I got to say. Make sure you bring a monster that can... Uh, make sure that you train up a monster that can take on a steel dragon. That's all I can say. Wow, no kidding. Because you're not what... going to get any wiggle worm. It is going to freaking kill you. What's a good typing to go against a steel dragon? <sighs> I mean, to be Fairy. perfectly honest, it's kind of hard because it's flying, mm. uh, too. It seems to have, like, levit- a ability or something. Uh, so you can't really use Earthquake on it. Wow. Which would be a, normally a good way to take out a steel type. Fire, it's only going to do neutral damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will resist. Uh, ice will do nat- neutral damage. Uh, there are certain abilities that we'll be able to break through, but uh, oh, fairies won't do much to it because fairies are resisted by steel. Oh, so I was it's say, neutral. Wait, wait, fairy, but yeah, that's right. Fairies. And- so if you bring Jeez. a fairy, if you bring a fairy type. At least I think you'll be able to resist his dragon attacks. Mm-hmm. So that's something to keep in mind. Good luck. Yeah, but it was freaking demolished me. I'm sure that there's a guide out there somewhere that's like, yeah, this is how you take it out. So, But I killed it. It's gone. It flew back. away. Presumably I have to go after and capture it. Wow. So. Then you have like Cthulhu on your team. Yeah. But I am going to go do the last Grandmaster Trial. And then I will be able to control my full level 100 party. Mm-hmm. I'll beat the Elite Four. And then I'll have access to all of the post-game content. Uh, that's pretty much all of the stuff that I'm going to be doing tonight. Uh, so nice. that's where I am right now, Nadia. Good job. So that, that, was, a, that was a story, Kat. Thank you for that story. <laughs> Thank you. I, I appreciated <laughs> telling you that story. But... I I have to say that my interest has been rekindled a tiny bit. Well, yeah, it gave you a bit of a challenge there, didn't it? Yeah, it gave me a little bit of a challenge. And also, I just got to say, it's been fun to have all of my monsters back. Mm-hmm. And you had a good reason to, to pull them out of retirement. Yeah, I mean, they're not retired. They're my buddies. <laughs> That's me forever. But uh, 
Yeah, uh, there's just so much to do in Pokemon Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, which I really mm-hmm. like. There's like the Pokebelago stuff where you got these islands that you can send them to where they're collecting berries and going on quests and stuff. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I'll never get over how the Pokebelago uh, is run by this one guy who's actually the father of, uh, what's her name, Lily and uh, Gla- the, the emo kid and is mm-hmm. the husband of uh, the crazy woman, uh, Lusamine. And she mm-hmm. went nuts because he went missing. And so the world's falling apart because she's going crazy. And he's over here like, hey, you want to like raise Pokemon here? Oh, this, isn't this fun? <laughs> like, yeah. man, your, your wife's destroying the world. You want to do something about that? But I think he lost his memory, so. Yeah. I, I really like the Alola region in general. It's yeah. It's really cool. I'm super pumped to be taking on Team Rainbow Rocket. Yes. That's and I'm, I'll, I'll probably do what I always do, which is... Uh, I'll probably raise a couple of my favorite monsters from that particular region, like Mimikyu, maybe a couple others, uh, just to have them just in the mix. Yeah. I will go out and I will capture, uh, I will capture all the legendaries that I can possibly capture in that region. I will do all of the side content and get whatever regional ribbons that I can possibly get. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, for my monsters, and uh, maybe I will play a bit on Smogon and, or, sh- sh- sorry, uh, the online browser game, uh, sh- Shoddy Battle. I don't know, I don't remember what it's called anymore. Yeah. But it used to be called Shoddy Battle. I'll probably play online and build up a team and see, see if I can build up a team, and if not, whatever, but the i don't i don't think i'm going to be like super hardcore or anything i'm just going right. to enjoy it pretty casually have some fun get stomped online i know i will exactly i mean uh, i've been watching better call saul while uh, grinding pokemon which is pretty nice <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting pastime yeah well i mean it's uh I'm watching sports watching better call saul watching whatever uh, while playing pokemon kind of yeah. in the background is is nice i was uh playing Atrian odyssey 5 with listening to sisters of mercy it's a good combination. What is Sisters of Mercy? Sisters of Mercy is a, I don't know, if, I think from the 80s. They're just a very roar sounding band. Like, I don't know, if you ever heard of Temple of Love? It's a great song. Nope. They, actually, um, what do you call it? Uh, SteamWorld Dig 2 had a reference to Sisters of Mercy, and I tweeted Image and Form and said, this is how you get an A-plus for your game. You reference Sisters <laughs> of Mercy. <laughs> uh, I I still think that Pokemon Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon shouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. That it should have been paid DLC that I downloaded straight to my card that updated the game because it's not like DLC has never been done on the 3DS before. Yeah, I agree with that. But I'm glad I, that there's a... It, it sounds like it's good content, just you don't really have to go... You shouldn't have to go to the full game again for it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I put together a full-throated rant for this week's starting screen she did. about she the did. situation. So, But I don't think it will be. I think that the Switch is going to change everything. Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm really looking forward to what comes next for Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Kind of sad to see it like leave the handheld. I know that the Switch, of course, is still a handheld, but just the dedicated handheld space. It's growing up, getting its legs, walking away. I'm okay with it being on TV. It's gonna be it's gonna be weird and interesting. As long as I'm allowed, as long as I'm able to transfer all my monsters again. Yeah, that's the big thing. I'm ready to see my Infernape on the big screen again. I haven't seen. Uh, we haven't had a proper Pokemon Stadium game style game since Pokemon Battle Revolution in 2007. Wow. Yeah, it's yeah. high time. 
It's been a long time. And they're always like, I was like, why, why don't, why won't you make Pokemon another Pokemon stadium? I mean, everybody wants the Pokemon stadium. I'm like, well, the reason we, the Pokemon stadium originally worked was because people wanted the console style graphics Right. And it really popped in comparison. And these days, the difference between a console version of Pokemon and the handheld version isn't nearly as strong. Mm. So it almost feels redundant to put it on console. Yeah, I guess I can see where that's coming from, especially Sun and Moon. Uh, everyone's fully animated now. They're fully 3D. Mm-hmm. But soon they'll be HD. But I really want extra challenges for high-level players for the most part. And I got one. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> slightly different. Yeah, you know what Pokemon needs raids. It's basically an MMO. Great. Oh, basically yeah. an MMO. Give me a super high level dungeon where I am battling through trainers who all have level one hundred monsters. Wow! With a final battle at the end where it's just straight up even, and I have to put together an actual thoughtful team. Mm-hmm that can survive the grind to get all the way to the end. It sounds like it sounds like a worthy challenge for you. That'd be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's been the thing is like there have been very few instances through the years where the solo content is actually catered to people who have bothered to level their monsters all the way up to level 100. Yeah, I think this is probably the closest we've had ever. Well, I mean, the battle towers have done it, but the battle towers are a little cheap. Yeah. And really, they're <laughs> just there to grind. Uh, the Pokemon, the the gym battles, the Pokemon League gym battles from Black 2 and White 2, where you fought every single gym leader and champion, mm-hmm. they did because it automatically leveled out the Pokemon. Right. So it was an even battle, and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> like, super fun. I had so much fun in that battles. But anyway, I digress. Pokemon Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, I'm, I'm enjoying it. And I'm sure most of you are too. And I, I'm going to write a couple extra things on the site. Oh, quick PSA. For all those people who keep telling me what to start with Pokemon, which Pokemon to start with, just start with this one. I mean, you always start with the latest version. That's yeah, that's always say. good advice. Uh, for one thing, you're not going to save money buying old versions because they're always full price. Oh, God, are they ever. Yeah. It's not like sports games that go on, sa- like, go on sale. In 2008... The original Ruby and Sapphire for the GBA was still full price in Japan. <laughs> really? I'm not surprised. And Ruby and Sapphire were notably inferior to Emerald. Yeah. Uh, but it, was... they were the same price as Emerald. <laughs> yeah. So what's the point? Go ahead and get that third version. Get everything. I felt bad for the I, I felt bad for the people who might have been like, Oh, Sapphires. I like Sapphires. It's kind of blue. Yeah. See, you I, got I them Sapphire. over Emerald. Yeah, it's like I, I love Sapphires, but That'd be kind of a. I, I never liked Ruby or Sapphire, but I kind of like Emerald, so. All right, Nadia, let's wrap up with talking about kind of what we're grateful for in the year of our Lord 2017. Uh, for RPGs, uh, it has not been a great year in general. In general, because for various reasons, but I would say it's been a heck of a year for RPGs, and there have been a lot of really amazing ones. And I would say that, Nadia, the first thing that I'm really grateful for 
in light of all the crap that has been going through the industry over the past, I don't know, forever, several months, I'm so grateful that the best RPGs this year haven't been completely just destroyed by microtransactions. Yeah. Um, one thing I was saying before we started was uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 has so many opportunities to just destroy that game with microtransactions. Thankfully, they're nowhere to be seen, and God, hope, God willing, it stays that way. Well, what, in what ways could it have been destroyed with microtransactions? Uh, basically, you uh, bond with blades through core crystals, and you find core crystals here, there, everywhere. Uh, most of them that you find are common, and they give you, like, okay fighters. Uh, occasionally, you find rarer ones, which give you stronger fighters, and then you get, like, the really uh, premium ones, which give you, like, the really distinct characters, uh, blades. Uh, I could just see a microtransaction game, or a, a gashapon game, even just being like, hey, if you want, like, a, a really cool rare blade, uh, pay a little bit more. You know what I mean? Oh, my God. So, basically, put that into loot boxes, oh, people would lose their mind. Oh, yeah. But, uh, thankfully, that's the, it base, the way you get blades in the game is you beat strong enemies if you want the good ones, or you just get really lucky. If a, a really cynical developer would put would try and find a way to put quote-unquote accelerators into their RPGs? I think uh, Square Enix did something similar when they first released Final Fantasy VII on uh, Steam. They tried to make people buy like Phoenix Downs like with actual cash. I'm like, who the hell is going to buy Phoenix Downs with real-world cash? Unless they work in real life. That'd be nice. Otherwise, shove it. The Phoenix Downs don't actually bring you back to life. They just revive you. They just revive you, yeah. Because you're knocked down. Because why don't you just use one on Eris? Because it's not for dead people. Yeah, exactly. Duh. <laughs> Come on. Get it right. Stop being a uh, Final Fantasy XV had a fair number of microtransactions. Like We all made fun of their just adoration for cup noodle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, yep. I kind of got hungry for cup noodles after that, and I did buy some. I mean, I... I'm actually surprised that more developers don't have like straight up plot product placement in their game. Yeah, I I can't say I hated that product placement because it was delivered so cheesily. You could tell the actors were just like didn't know what to think about the whole thing. So I, I was just laughing the whole way through. It's like Solid Snake really loving Calorie Mate. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. Ah, uh, Calorie Mate, totally restore your health. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, it's real healthy for you. But, I mean, that's what Metal Gear Solid would do, is that they would put in tons of items and everything, and people didn't necessarily care about the product placement because it was kind of funny, but it yeah. made the game extra money. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, product placement's a little different from microtransactions. Yeah. I have to admit that uh, I love the idea of you, you have a cup noodle, and you got behemoth meat for it, and you put behemoth meat on top of the cup, meat, cup noodle, so that's <laughs> awesome. I'm like, I want to try that. In Madden, they have Gatorade, and your stat boosts are sponsored by Gatorade. <laughs> and they even go out of their way to carefully model the Gatorade bottles to show the players drinking out of them. Yeah, and the label's always facing the camera, of course. Of course. Yeah, of course. no, you can definitely tell that those are Gatorade bottles. It's actually funny. The later releases of Crazy Taxi that took out Pizza Hut and KFC, it doesn't seem right. I know that's like a really gross thing to say, but it's just kind of not fun to visit generic fried chicken and generic pizza yeah i mean the real brands make it feel real which is how you know that we live in a super commercialized society it just doesn't feel right without brands yeah how am i supposed to know where to go and what to eat (laughs) 
<laughs> but Final Fantasy 15, uh, aside from the cup noodles thing, they had the outfits that you could buy mm-hmm. and the skins for the car. Oh, right. And then yeah. also the DLC packages that they periodically released. And then they also put out the multiplayer version of Final Fantasy 15 just recently. Yeah. Which we talked about on a previous episode, which is why we haven't covered it in too much depth since it came out. But that you can tell that they are putting, they are positioning it as somewhere that you can spend on microtransactions. Yeah, um, for Final Fantasy XV, for what it has now, um, I honestly am not that bothered by visual, like, you know, superficial changes that you can buy. I know people say, oh, that's why we are where we are now, but I really kind of wanted that Behemoth track at that uh, knocked head. Uh, And it's just, maybe we're only noticing that it's not as egregious in some of these games as Mm -hmm. it has been in, say, like Battlefront Two. Yeah, I know that a lot of people have been really pissed about Fallout's uh, Fallout 4's mod store. Oh right, yes. Yeah, that, that's been just a giant shit show for Bethesda. That's yeah. been kind of happening over here, but it's definitely a thing that mm-hmm. is happening. Like, but Bethesda is trying to find some way to turn the giant, giant mod community into a serviceable revenue stream for for their games and the fans are just having none of it yeah but didn't steam try that once before with uh uh with with their mods i remember someone made a mod specifically called fuck valve (laughs) basically the mod it was called no more imperials and it took imperials out of the game and the description was this mod essentially breaks the game, which is what uh, Valve did to the mod community. <laughs> and it's just the thumbnail. It's just like this picture of an Imperial with like this really sloppily drawn X across it. And I just died when I saw it. <laughs> uh, it may be that next year we will start seeing RPGs that do incorporate uh, loot boxes or something like that in ways that are extremely annoying. God knows mm-hmm. we saw it in Fire Emblem Heroes. But nobody yeah. cares because it's a mobile game, so it's okay. Yeah, that really depends on your outlook. I mean, free-to-play stuff is kind of a blasted hell wasteland to begin with, so whatever. I read a story about, or I heard a story about somebody who spent like $1,000 on uh, trying to get the archer from Fire Emblem Fates in oh. Fire Emblem Heroes. Yeah. And didn't get him. <laughs> well, that's $1,000 down the toilet. Good job. That would be mur- That would just murder me. Yeah. And you know, it really sucks because I really like that character. I think he's it's a great design. Which I one really wanted him on my team, and it killed me that short of spending a lot of money that I was just going to have to pray to the RNG gods that I got him. And <laughs> it was so unlikely that I just despaired of ever having a chance. Yeesh. It's like in Madden Ultimate Team, I really wanted Randall. I really wanted Dante Culpepper to be quarterbacking my Ultimate Team because he was, he was a Vikings guy ten years ago or whatever, and he had a super special card. And while I was playing, his card was going for at least eight hundred thousand coins. Wow, that's a lot of coins. Yeah, that, that sounds like a lot of coins. Like even though I don't understand how the economy works in that game. So short of playing for dedicating my life to Ultimate Team or spending money to get packs, I was there was just no way I was going to get him. Yeah, and it made me sad. Yeah, I wanted to get him, but okay, Nadia, what are you grateful for in RPGs right now? Uh, I am grateful that the Nintendo Switch is getting Japan to take another look at 
getting really serious about making games for consoles and not just phones. Uh, I don't we, think it's just the Nintendo Switch, though. I think the PS4 has gotten a lot of has gotten a lot of traction over in Japan for the most part. And I mean, you're seeing it with things like Persona Five, for mm-hmm. example. Praise them all. Your Automata. Yeah, I'm I'm very happy about the Okay, I'm just happy that Japan's RPG scene is really coming back to life because it was yeah. it was a little grim there for a while. It was really grim, but it's been several years since then. And I would mm. say better than it was a decade ago that things were really grim. Yeah. Um I'll say that everything is healed and well again once we get a Breath of Fire game on a console or a or the Switch. But I talk to talk to Capcom, uh, Nadia. I don't know if that's going to happen. No, Capcom's looking up at the ceiling. I don't know what they're doing. While everyone else is like, "Hey, the Switch and the PS4, people like them. Let's you know maybe stop trying to make games, uh, trying to make money off games that on the phone that aren't going to make any money, and uh, make a sure thing." Here's the thing that makes me a little sad. Mm-hmm. So Persona Five is out. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like I don't have anything to look forward to anymore. I'm looking forward to Persona 5 Crimson or whatever the hell they're going to do. I mean, sure, I guess. But I spent the better part of six years looking forward to Persona 5. Just... You haven't even finished it yet. I haven't. I've been busy. <laughs> so you, you, ha- you look forward to that. I do. I, I can. It's just, I don't know what's over the horizon. I guess Dragon Quest right. Eleven. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Really Valkyria Chronicles 4 is really exciting. Yeah, yeah. Octopath Traveler, we'll be seeing that soon. Pokemon on Switch. Yeah. Uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 I get it. Kingdom Hearts 3 is next year, I guess. That's good. Yeah, that's probably going to happen. There are some killer RPGs from Japan this year, though. And yeah. uh, Persona 5 was one, Nier Automata was one. I mean, honestly, Pokemon was one. But the yeah. one-two punch of Persona 5 and Nier Automata was really huge. Yeah, and then you consider that Nier Automata was a bit of a surprise. Mm-hmm. We knew Persona 5 was coming. We knew it was going to be pretty awesome. Uh, but mm-hmm. Nier Automata just kind of came out of, not quite nowhere, but it, it did blindside a lot of us. I can't believe it didn't get more nominations on the Game Awards. Yeah, that's really a shame. I Like I said, I haven't played much of the game. I think we should do a report on it, maybe play it together. But from what I've played, it's it's a really good game. I really enjoy it. I spent I wasted a lot of time fishing, as usual. That's going to be our next game. Yes, let's make it our next game. Uh, after we after we wrap up the uh, Final Fantasy IX report, which should be happening probably in the next couple of weeks, we'll yeah, use um, December to really uh, jump into Nier Automata and knock it out before the Game of the Year awards. Yeah, let's uh, let's try to get that done. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, okay, uh, another thing that I'm grateful for, I'm grateful for finally finishing Chrono Trigger. Yeah, that that was a lot of fun to hear the Chrono Trigger report. Yeah, Such I'm great. Game. I'm thankful to have that game in my life. Mm-hmm. That I understand the appeal now. Yeah, that I have been finally able to experience this really incredible RPG that has informed so much about the discourse of, especially Japanese RPGs. Yeah, over the years, and yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say except that I am thankful for Chrono Trigger. <laughs> It's a good thing to be thankful for. I'm similarly thankful that I managed to finish. Uh, I haven't finished Final Fantasy IX yet, but finished most of it. Uh, finished most of Final Fantasy XII HD. So I, I got caught up on a, on quite a few games this year. Yeah, you're knocking a bunch of games off your bucket list. Yeah, yeah. I, I finished. I got into Persona like 
technically I mm-hmm. started last year, but I really got into it this year. Persona 4, I finished. Persona 5, I finished. The Persona's so in your wheelhouse. I can't believe that you didn't get to it before now. Yeah. Um, I guess it was because I didn't have the Vita, and I mm-hmm. was everyone was kind of confusing me. Oh, play Golden. Don't play Golden. You had so. a PS2. You could have played 4. I, I, it was actually quite late before I got a PS2. I mean, I mean, Persona 4 came out in 2008, so it was pretty late. True. But I had, so. I had a GameCube, and then I was poor for a long time. I mean, so say we all. <laughs> Indeed. How about you, Nadia? What else I'm thankful for? Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I think I'm thankful for the show. I think we've had a lot of fun. and <laughs> had a lot of people. Ta- uh, That's cheating. A lot of friends. You're not allowed uh, to be no. thankful for the show. Okay, I'm not allowed to be thankful for you guys. Sorry. um oh geez what else am i thankful for um all in all it's been a a pretty strong year for rpgs and i guess i am thankful for our listeners and the ability to put on another rpg podcast um and for the opportunity to play through old rpgs and Mm -hmm. be able to talk about them at some length right yeah people seem to really like that we do that and uh i enjoy doing it so more yes. next year, I suppose. Yes, uh, I, I, indeed. And if you want to talk about what you're grateful for uh, or thankful for in 2017 in the RPG space, uh, maybe drop us a line in the comments or send us a note at usgamer at usgamer.net. Okay, Nadia, uh, we are going to be talking about, uh, just really quickly, some comments from last week's podcast. We talked about Pokemon and various other things. We also did Final Fantasy IX. And uh, we also talked about Canadian accents. <laughs> we talked a bit about that. I forgot. Yeah. Uh, AJJ was talking about your Canadian accent. One thing Americans don't consider about is that Canada is bigger than the U.S. and thus has a massive variety to the accents. Albertans sound like Canadian Minnesotans. Newfies sound like Scottish grandpas trying to speak in old English. And folks from Toronto sound like Canadians trying not to sound Canadian on stage. <laughs> well, I don't know if I sound like you. I, I don't try not to sound Canadian. I just I just sound the way I sound, I suppose. Although, yeah, I love maritime accents. They're, they're friggin' nuts. Like, uh, someone from Newfoundland is just... Do you know Great Big Sea? They're just a... Uh, they're a band that I love. And uh, they're from Newfoundland, and uh, but the best are Nova Scotian accents because they do their A's like ah, so they say Harry like Harry. And uh, when I learned how to type in school, they showed us like this video where like the person had a really strong Nova Scotian accent. She's saying mm. like Harry, and we were all giggling. Uh, propos of nothing, I really learned about other accents for the first time from Redwall. Really? Oh, okay, that's a good. Yeah, that would make sense because yeah, the moles had the the like kind of. Cockney. Yeah, they, I mean, it wasn't Cockney. It was a no, very right. specific accent. It, it, it wasn't even Midlands. I, I forget. He was going for a very specific accent with the yeah. moles, which didn't mean anything to me because I didn't know anything about the UK, but I learned all about the UK animals. Yeah. I learned about what people ate over there. Lots of pies, as it lots turns of pie, out. Lots of treats and tarts and uh, dish, deep dish, this and that. Uh, the rabbits had very, or sorry, the hares had very posh accents. Yeah, they're very chip chip. Absolutely chip, chip, capital. Cereal. Capital. And I, I, I forget I if know. there was a cockney, uh, an animal with kind of the cockney accent, but. 
I don't know, but uh, now that you mention it, um, I learned about, well, from my great-grandparents, rather, to be honest, my great-grandmother, apparently, when she came to talk to me for the first time, she, I said to my mom, what did she say? <laughs> Which was really <laughs> rude. Cause she had a very, very thick Belfast accent, but mm. also uh, the Narnia books. Uh, ah. which was very my mom was always laughing about how like the Aslan brings the animals to life and they all have these really British accents makes sense <laughs> Johnny Boy 407 says Flaffy of course evolves into Ampharos and it'll happen at level 30 just because I couldn't remember Flaffy's evolution because I can never remember any names I hope you stick with him or her even after you import your favorites Ampharos is one of my favorites she's quite bulky with awesome special attack and can learn a ton of different moves for wide coverage my final moveset on one was Thunderbolt, Power Gem, Signal Beam, and Dragon Pulse, giving it a super effective attack on eight or nine different types. Mm. And the only thing you're really worried about is ground-type attack, unless you go Mega. Anyway, Ampharos is pretty cool. Uh, so Ampharos did stay in my party, eventually yep. evolved. It's level 52. I like Ampharos because of the bulk. Yeah. Very, like, really can take a, take a hit. Uh, good special uh, special defense and everything. Decent coverage because I had a um, discharge uh, thunder wave for paralysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a different attack. Oh, power gem, which is yeah. like a rock attack and then something else. And so I was able to take out quite a bunch of stuff. Um, Omphros has never been a huge favorite of mine. I tend to lean on Jolteon as one of my electric types. Jolteon's uh, cuter, did, to be honest. Jolteon, Zapdos, one of those. Uh, I know that uh, my recollection is that Mega Omphros never really caught on as a yeah as a kind of OP monster. Everybody was too focused on Mega Salamence and Mega Metagross, but Mega Salamence is awesome. My favorite but, electric type is uh, Raichu. Oh yeah, I know Raichu sucks, but I just love its tail. Yeah. Raichu was a key component of a team that won the VGCs the year that I won, which I really? think was 2016. Yep. Oh, so that's nice to hear. And that's one of the cooler things about VGCs is that really smart uh, people who really know the systems in and out and like every last Pokemon mm-hmm. can put together teams in which the parts are greater or the whole is greater than the sum of their parts yeah it's really interesting to watch pokemon battles like for really talented people for that reason when you have like i think there was that parichu parichisu or whatever it's called a little yep. squirrel that just des- destroyed everyone though of great. course everybody was using also that was the last year of omega ruby alpha sapphire so literally everybody was using the ancient power version of kyogre and Gr- grudon mm-hmm. like yeah. every team had them and it was actually kind of boring in that regard. <laughs> yep. That's my problem with Pokemon now, competitive Pokemon now, is that we're at a point where there's so many legends. Yeah. That people just use the legends. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's boring. No, I, I don't want to use the legends. And like the, the band lists are so crazy. It started with Diamond <laughs> and Pearl. It started oh, really? with Diamond and Pearl where Garchomp was banned. But, like, Celebi was okay, and Jirachi was okay, mm-hmm. and some of these other monsters were okay. And so, having to navigate this really complicated ban list was actually extremely annoying. Yeah, and what I'm saying is that I miss the days of 151, where Mewtwo was the only thing where you would go, yeah, you gotta ban Mewtwo, obviously. God, there's nothing more boring than we were fighting against someone, and they brought out Mewtwo. Mm-hmm. And you brought out Mewtwo, and you just sat there recovering, turn after turn, waiting. In Black 2 and White 2... The there was the 
one of the big things was that the ice dragon could merge with one of the cover legendaries mm-hmm. and become a different monster. That was actually legal on six v six smog on battles back in that in back in those days. And so you would periodically run into them because quite a few people used them. And they weren't unbeatable, right. which is why they were usable. But they were very strong. And I was like, God, why is this legal? God damn it. Oh, man. And the worst part of these legendaries being, uh, being legal and being used by everybody is that mm-hmm. you can't breed them. Right. So you have to basically... <laughs> The way that people do it is uh, in the past, I don't know if it's still possible, is they've manipulated the 3DS clock to be able to get perfect IVs. Yeah. And then they would capture them. And I've never been willing to go that far because it's always seemed like cheating to me. Yeah. So as a consequence, I haven't been able to get, even when I've gotten legendaries with decent natures and stuff. Their IVs have been crap because the legendaries always have crappy IVs. Yeah. And so it just feels unfair. I, I don't know. I hate the way that people game the system. And that's why I've more or less retired from yeah, competitive Pokemon battling. Yeah, serious business. Pokemon is serious business. Yeah. There's a reason that it's been this big for 15 years. Oh, Community yeah. Community huge. There's a lot to the game. Anyway, uh, Dave Rahota says, I was a janitor during the GBA era. Oh, excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, the day Advanced Wars came out, I wound up staying at work an extra hour because I completely lost track of time. Oh, oh man. man. Did you play Advanced Wars back in the day? Yes, I did. Uh, I was terrible at it, but I did. I really loved how, like, cute it was and, like, the character, I guess the sergeants, I don't know what the hell they were, they were talking to each other saying, oh, this is so much fun, and their their soldiers are getting blown away on the battlefield and they're talking about how much fun it is. Let's fight again. My favorite thing about Advanced Wars was the war room. Yeah. Because I loved trying to get S ranks on all of the maps. And it was yeah. a lot of fun. I just and, tried to survive. Well, do you remember which? Uh, do you remember which CO that you preferred? I think I always liked. Uh, I can't remember the name of the guy with the gun. Uh, oh, the one, the sniper guy. He was a monster. Yeah. Yeah, he could be pretty tough to beat because yeah, he you was. could uh, yeah. you could snipe them from across the map with the artillery. So. Yeah, I used him a lot too, but I uh, I always thought Advanced Wars 2 struck the best balance between all of them. I don't think I played that one. I, I think the first one was the only one I really played, and since I was so bad at it, even though I did enjoy it, I, I got frustrated very easily. Dual Strike was annoying because you could have an instance where opposing, it seemed like every map the opposing COs would use their Dual Strike power and yeah. then proceed to wipe out your entire army at once. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that was kind of bullshit. Did you play the... Was that the one that was a real, like, kind of hardcore, uh, dark, grim? No, Days of Ruin. That was it. Did you play that I one? finished that one. And actually, aside from the final mission, uh, it was actually one of the most balanced of all of the Advanced Wars games. But it really annoyed me that it didn't have a straight-up war room. Mm-hmm. Like in the past games, like the war room challenges were on the map. So I didn't have right. a nice list that said S rank, S rank, S rank, <laughs> S rank, S rank. Didn't get that really satisfaction. Really annoyed me. But the, the story seemed kind of interesting. I wanted to play it for that reason, but I never got around to it. Uh, Advanced Wars. All I want is you back in my life. Yeah. Um, Chucklefish is doing something similar. So uh, that's as close as you're going to get for a while. Uh, isn't Chucklefish also doing a Harry Potter school game? They are. Uh, Chucklefish, making all the games I've ever wanted. There you go. 
they know what you Ho- want, Kat. Hopefully doing them well, too. All right, Nadia, uh, it's time to knock off, but Axe of the Blood God is the U.S. Gamer Podcast. You can find us iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are sold. Connect to us on Twitter. I'm at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. And, of course, U.S. Gamer is on U.S. Gamer Net across Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, all of those other things. We stream twice a week. Uh, this week, Mike streamed Battle Chef Brigade, which is, <laughs> is like cooking game or something. Well, yeah. Kind of rad, actually. So go check that out. Um, I'm also on the US Gamer Podcast this week. I don't know what I'm talking about because I haven't recorded that podcast, though, even though it will be out by the time that you hear this podcast. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> future. Woo! Ooh, we're screwing with time here. Yeah, so look, please look forward to that. Um, Nadia, is there anything that you want to say before we wrap up? Oh, everyone have a very good Thanksgiving, a very good yep. uh, time off, and hopefully score some good Black Friday deals, too. Oh, my gosh, yes. Uh, use US Gamer to please. score those good I'm Black Friday deals. I'm working very hard on those guides, please. Nadia's working so very, very hard. <laughs> yeah, by the time you listen to this podcast, I will be in carmel valley uh relaxing in a hot tub so oh, i could really use a hot tub <laughs> yeah well so i think much. we have all earned it after this holiday season nadia yeah yeah all right we'll be back as always next week but until then for nadia and myself thanks for listening we'll see you have a happy thanksgiving and we really appreciate you listening until then happy adventuring <laughs> <laughs>